Hi there and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm your host, Akego Koye, and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Chidema Emodi Chukwemeka, award-winning entrepreneur and co-founder of the Footwear Academy in Nigeria. We talk about how she transitioned from a job she loved in digital marketing to entrepreneurship, the work her and her husband are undertaking to revive the dying shoemaking industry in Nigeria, create jobs and opportunities for young people, and build the largest footwear hub in Africa. Let's get into it. Hi, Chidema. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi, Akego. Thank you so much for having me. So you recently became a mom. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, maybe some of the values that you developed growing up. My childhood was good, I guess. Um, I had like a twin sister, so I had someone to go through life with. I was born in the town of Ihiala in Anambra State. My dad, um, my dad and mom were schooling when they had us, um, all mm. five of us actually. <laughs> so my dad, my dad was a lawyer. He was training to be a lawyer. Um, my mom was also in nursing school, and by the time they were done with school, we all moved to Lagos. And I, I think I started remembering or being conscious of being a human being at that time when we moved to Lagos. I can't remember. I have no memory <laughs> of when we were back in Amber State. So, so yes, um, my childhood was really good. Although I lost my dad when I was twelve. Yeah, he died in wow. the past, then um, just three days before Christmas. So for a long time, I really hated Christmas. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I had a childhood. But before that, my dad was um, really particular about, you know, us. He would give a, he was a very strict person. He was strict. He was principled. I remember from a very young age, he would give you money for the entire week. Like he started training us on financial a long time ago, and then before you would ask him for money for anything, you would have to come in and pitch to him. Like literally, I think I started pitching for wow. Yeah, you have, your English has to be good. You have to. You have like imagine a, a six-year-old coming to tell you, oh, "Daddy, I need this. This is what I need the money for." And you know, he would ask you questions and questions and questions. I mean, it was really interesting. So he started building up. Um, self-confidence from that age and in the process of honesty and so many things that you know some of the things that he has said even when he died when I was 12 mm. followed me even on to university yeah and it has just been the standard principle of my life to always do better always be the best always be honest always be always be confident and all of that yeah I had a good childhood I'll mm-hmm. say even though even though it was tragic at a point mm. yes but my mom tried her best to give us a good life Thank you so much for sharing. So you, you went on to study zoology in university, uh-huh. and then you worked in branding and digital marketing. So how did you make that shift, or was that what you always wanted to do? The funny truth is that at that point in my life, even in studying zoology, I don't think I had good advice. Everybody wanted me to study medicine or pharmacy or anything I, I didn't have like guidance i didn't even know what i wanted to do like at different points in my life i just knew mm-hmm. i don't find i wanted to be an astronaut like really <laughs> the only reason i didn't do it was because everybody laughed at me and then also i wanted to be a lawyer and i wanted to be a lot of things and i didn't really have like guidance and all 
So when I put in uh, medicinal surgery in the University of Nigeria and I didn't get it and I was giving zoology, I was already tired of staying at home and I said, no, I'm going to go and study this zoology. And then at the end of it, I'll figure out what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how I got into zoology. And then thankfully, the school had like a games called Ninga Games and we were, we, had to be, we were sent home for like a few months. And right at home, I got a job to do brand like brand activation it was a new thing then and people weren't really doing brand activation at that time it was my sister and i we somebody told us oh do you guys want to do this you're going to make like i think it was thirty thousand naira, and it was a lot of money at that time it was like oh my god thirty thousand naira! wow <laughs> so we came for the interview and the interview was like sell this product in before the end of today and we had to talk to people at Silverbed Mall, Silverbed Galeria. It was it, it was new then. It just opened up in Lagos, and it was a big activation. So what I did was that I was so shy, I was so scared, I didn't even know how to speak the English. But I had to follow a lady, and I saw how she spoke to someone, how she approached the person, spoke to the right. person, and I just followed her around. And by the time she was, by the time I followed her like four times, I said, "Okay, I'm going to try this," and I did it, and I loved it, and. We got on to get the job. I did, we did that job for like two, two months. I back to school. Afterwards, I discovered I knew how to talk. And I discovered that, <laughs> oh, I really, really love this. I really, really love brand activation. So, you know, I stayed back in school. And every time during the halls, I'll go back to the company. I'll do one or two jobs for them. And I continued, with, I continued with them and did other things as well. And then by the time I was done with school, NYSC, and my first job was also in brand activation. And, the, and because of the experience I've gathered, I was mm-hmm. able to, you know, secure the brand activation job. In fact, I actually went for a brand activation position, but the company saw potential in me and started to push me up to brand activation specialist. I was supposed to supervise the brand activation activities of the company and all of that. What year was that? And this was in 2014. So I did that from 2014 to 2016. And by the time I was leaving the company, I went on to learn digital marketing, which was something that was mm-hmm. new at that time in 2016 as well. Uh, it was something that was coming up, it was something I was interested in, and I, right. I did that. Yeah, so that's how I saw myself in digital marketing as well. This is now in 2016. You go off, you do your course in digital marketing, yeah. and do you work in digital marketing? Okay, so in 2016 was the year I'll, I'll say I first came, started up my, my own business because um, after learning okay. digital marketing, I started teaching digital marketing and doing digital okay. marketing for a couple of um, brands and stuff. Eventually, I was called up to a, 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 an employment position at Think Africa to be a um, COO, uh, head of operations, and I think Africa. So I started doing that. It was a, it was advertising, but it was market research. So. Okay. I, I held that position, got married to my husband, and then that is how we started talking about um, opening up a footwear company and stuff. Like it was um, an idea my husband always liked and had. And then when we got married, it now became like a shared vision. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And, and to be honest, when we started talking about it, I had no intention of resigning <laughs> from my job. I just thought. <laughs> Because I said, no, this is a good good enough venture, but, you know, I'm going to still hold on to my job, which I love. Right. And, <laughs> and, and then I was still going to do this, right? I'm still going to help you out, business plans, do all the things I can do and all. 
but then you know he we it wasn't serious because we, we I, I was committed to my job i was busy and i could only give time to this other vision like uh, weekends or by the time i'm back home i'm tired and stuff eventually it wasn't picking up like we, we talked about it for months so I had hmm. to, I had, I just, you know, woke up one day and had a strong intuition that I just needed to, you know, if this was going to work, then I have to resign. I have to take it serious. So it was a very scary step. What got you to that point? What What got you to the point where you, you're, you're, you're working a job that you love. Your husband has this vision to start a footwear academy. You think it's a viable vision. But what made you, I mean, you say you wake up one day and then you change it. Was it really just you woke up one day? What was the process to deciding I'm going to quit this job and my steady income? Okay, I'll say two things, right? First of all, he was consistent in, the, in doing the past that he could do. For instance, um, well, I'll, I'll give you, we started out in our living room. We first of all turned our living room, okay. or he turned our living room into a classroom. So, so instead of making chairs, like, you know, living room chairs. Because when we moved into a whole new apartment, three bedroom, we didn't make chairs. The first thing we made were classroom chairs and table. And then instead of buying cooking gas, fridge, and mm. stuff like that, that people really buy in homes, right? We, he, we bought machines. And then he built a website. And then he made business card for me and for him. And I wasn't even working in the company. Mm. Like, he just kept doing and... Uh, you know, we would talk and he would implement right. this fast food, and then he would wait for me to do the other part. I, I felt like I was the pro, I was taking too long, and we weren't having, we didn't launch anything. He, he just made sure everything was ready, and it looks like I was the only person delaying, okay, right. the marketing aspect of the company. Oh, we haven't put up any polls, we haven't done anything. I've done my own part, there's a website, there's everything, and it's we're just not launched because you're busy mm. with this other project so that was one and then the second factor was that i just right. had it in my spirit like you just have to leave you just have to join your husband with this and i just knew i was the only person doing this and it was a right. scary step for me because i really loved my job but i also knew that this was a project he really liked and i also was invested in it as well because i was also the co-founder and i said okay let's go on let's go ahead and do this mm. and interestingly it just blew mm. up right in our face that like, it just became big that same month i resigned um june yes i think it was june 2017 we just put up a post for our first training for august and then we, had, we got a lot of people signing up on the website interested in learning at the Kutu academy and then that same month we also won our first grant of 500 dollars <laughs> so we came second in a competition and we won our first grant and so that's how we Okay. We started. That's interesting. So, so why a training academy as opposed to a shoe brand uh, of your own? Why, why training? Training because because of the need in the industry. If people wanted to learn shoemaking, like my husband wanted to learn for a very long time, like learn not just anything that people teach, just you know the right way to make shoes because he's obsessed with shoes. He dreams shoes. You could spend like I feel like I'm competing with shoes in his life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he wanted to learn for a very long time, and we started an academy because of the problem he had in trying to learn how to make very good shoes. First of all, um, he was told he had to apprentice, um, had to do um, an apprenticeship with someone 
and you're telling somebody that is in his thirties to come back and do apprenticeship mm. with you for how many years? Five years to learn shoemaking. No, that's not going to work because he has a family. We also had a pharmacy mm. then and had other businesses, and he wasn't like he wasn't going to leave all of that to come an apprentice for you to become an apprentice so that you could teach him shoemaking. Secondly, um, we right. he wanted a process where people could where shoemaking could be taught easily, and then most of the people in the industry kept telling us that. It was hard. It was not something anybody could uh, teach you easily and stuff like that. But it was not the same thing that we were seeing in other academies abroad. Like there's different um, schools abroad that are teaching shoemaking in two days, one week, one month. They have like shop snacky courses and stuff like that. And it was the thing that made us become passionate about creating an academy that would teach young people like us who were upperly mobile. Who had had jobs nine to five, wanted yeah. to transition into entrepreneurship, to you know, to come to the Future Academy and then, and that, those are the kind of hmm. students we had at that time. Those are the kind of people that were signing up on our courses. Our training courses were on Saturdays at that hmm. time in Lagos, and then we had a lot of people that were transitioning from nine to five signing up, and it was pretty easy for us to get them. Um, we also had a vision to also we saw shoemaking as a dying industry. It was at that time it wasn't. Well, the dining industry because first okay. of all, um, the knowledge was not being passed down. So we wanted to get people, older people in the industry. That was the idea we had mm. then. We wanted to, the first idea we had was to get older people in the industry to be passed down this knowledge without people having to apprenticeship with them. They just have to come to an academy and learn, you know, like like that. That was the system we wanted to create to get an older person in the industry to teach shoemaking. Mm. But then all of that had to change as we ran the company. Because we found out that even these older people, they their mm. methods were okay. They didn't they, they didn't even learn in any formalized way. They didn't mm. know why they were using the material they were using, and uh, a lot of them were not even interested in passing on knowledge so easily to other people. Because they'll tell you they've been in industry for thirty years, twenty years. Why should they have to teach somebody, even especially a woman? Some of them were not even interested in teaching women. I remember, yeah, I remember we had a team member then mm. that told me, "Madam, leave this shoemaking, go press computer." Which means that I should just wow. forget about le- trying to learn because I had to learn as well because I needed to understand exactly the exact method of making shoes so that I can sell these courses so that I can know what how to do this. Yeah, so I was interested mm-hmm. in learning from him, and he told me that I should forget about learning shoemaking and I should just go and keep pressing the computers that I knew how to do. So they, they weren't interested in teaching women, and then they weren't even interested in passing it on. So we had to find other ways to do it, which is one of the reasons why we traveled to Italy. So tell tell us about that experience because you you both went to Italy for a couple of over a month to, to learn how to to make shoes. So what was that experience like? It was really eye opening. Interestingly, we had different people from different parts of the different parts of the world in our classroom. It was it was really interesting. We had almost everybody in each continent from Asia. <laughs> we had us from Africa. We had people from wow. America. We had people from Australia in our class and it was really interesting because everybody had like their own unique schedule. We had we came up with six weeks course, some people came for one month, some people came for three months, six months and stuff, which gave us the idea for how we run our own programs as well here in here at the Future right. Academy. It was eye opening. We we had the opportunity to visit different shoe brands. We even had to go to Spain, you know, visit leather companies and stuff like that. And it expanded our mind. And by the time we, we came back, mm. we, we knew that it was never going to be business as usual. It gave us confidence to be able to price mm. our courses to 
um, um, now we have a 500,000 euro cost, which is for six months, and we now have people signing up for it. But before we traveled, our courses were 65,000 euro, right? So by the, time we, wow. <laughs> by the time we came back, we had to open, create programs for different sets of people, like people that want to come for two weeks, people that want to come for a month, people that want to come for our master's program and stuff like that. Um, so now we have mm. a wide range of people that can afford our programs, people that can pay for advanced, advanced courses and stuff like that. So traveling really helped us. It expanded our mind, helped us um, improve on our shoemaking methods. Now our shoemaking methods are so easy. We teach beginners mm. shoemaking and they get it, like they understand it, they are excited. We held in a program that was sponsored by King Foundation where we trained 100 okay. young people in Abia State. In the classroom, we had more women than men. We had more young um, girls learning from women. Yes, we had like 65 women. So we put in, in a class of 100 and they did exceptionally well. Some mm. of our best students were even women. It was really interesting because it proved to show that anybody can learn shoemaking. It's not a man, it's not a masculine mm. industry. And it, there's nothing exceptional mm. about a woman making shoes anymore. Because at that time, when we started, a lot of people used to call me, oh, wow, you're, you're doing something in a male-dominated industry. And it used to annoy me then because it's not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to be because, you know, we wanted to make it easy and now it's easy for anybody to learn it. So your family moved to Abba specifically for this business because you started off in Lagos. Um, so why Abba and um, how has the experience been? Abba, okay, we moved to Abba because in 2018, March 2018, we won the only made in Abba hackathon. It's a comp- it was a competition that was organized by Ford Foundation. Um, we came first. We won a $50,000 grant from Ford Foundation help improve congratulations thank you to help improve the footwear industry and this was coming a year after we started in 2017 so one of the things we used that grant mm-hmm. for was to travel to Italy which was okay. timely for us because we started out for in 2017 we tried to work with different shoemakers to come and train and it wasn't working we we're almost at our wit end and then this grant came and we we're able to travel ourselves to go and gain the knowledge ourselves so it was really exciting for us so Hmm. Um, so that it was a game changer. So by the time we got back from um, from Italy, we moved. We had to move to Abba because one, Abba, Abba, because of the grant. One, secondly, okay, you can't speak of shoemaking in Africa without mentioning Abba. Abba has the biggest hub of shoemakers in hmm. Africa. We have more than a hundred thousand shoemakers here. They make okay. collectively more than a million shoes monthly. Like you would, wow. Become, yes, more than a million shoes. Um, you you come if you come on every morning. If you come to Ariaria or Shoe Plaza along the road, you see trucks, different trucks lined up on the road, picking up um bags and bags of finished shoes that are taken to Togo, wow. they're taken to Cameroon, taken to the north, they're taken to different parts. Any type of shoe you make here, you sell, you sell it because I have different different market, different people coming here. To make, uh, mm. buy the finished shoes and then aside from the finished product most of the raw materials come into Abba. most of the importers right. bring their products here leather is found here you find the leather here you find all the shoemaking materials here so even when we were in lagos we had to travel down to Abba to buy some of the things that we had to use for training or production of raw so it was so exciting for us to move here because what better place to create a shoe academy 
than in the place where it is thriving. This is like a thriving right. environment for shoemaking. So we created it. And we had a vision that people would travel from different parts of Nigeria or Africa, just like how, just like how we had to travel to Italy to learn. We had a vision mm-hmm. that people would travel down here to about to experience the shoemaking industry here. Because if you would come here, you would have like, your mind would be blown. Be like, wow, people are doing amazing things here. It's just that it's a male-dominated industry here. Lot of them work like elephants and eat like ants. But you know, a lot could be better, a lot could be done better, right? And the government is trying to figure out a way to help the shoemaking industry here. So we are also here trying to play our part, trying to create like a whole different breed of young shoemakers that can also change the narrative here. So that people can be proud of the made in Nigeria product and stuff like that. That's very, very inspiring. I've never actually been to Abab. Now that you talk about it, I look forward to actually visiting and experiencing Ariaria and, you know, just the whole manufacturing industry there. Um, in terms of financing, we always talk about how how we finance our businesses on, on the show. And uh-huh. um, you've talked about two competitions that, that you've won. Um, pitching and um, raising money through competitions is a new thing on the continent. I mean, it's, it happens a lot in Europe and in America. Uh-huh. And I'm very excited to, to hear about people on the continent who are raising money through this method. So if you can just tell us a bit about how you, how you found out about these competitions, how you prepared for them and um yeah just talk to us a bit about about um the the competitions that you've you've been involved in okay so when we, when we started out we we, ha- we didn't have funds right and hmm. um we knew I, I knew that for the things i wanted to build we needed to we needed to have get money to do all the things we needed to do so i i said i i remember going on google and asking for how to raise how to respond to my business. Wow. I literally had to type it out <laughs> that way. You know, I thought, oh, you could you could you could look for grants, you could look for companies. I didn't even know what, how to put up a pitch deck. I didn't know how to do any of those things. And interestingly, my friend sent me my first ever competition link and I clicked on it. This was this was a competition I came second in and won five hundred mm. five hundred. So my first pitch ever and when I found out I could pitch and, and I could win money, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Then we have to, we have to attend all the grand competitions. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, that year I was everywhere, pitching and pitching, losing, being disappointed, but still people were hearing about the Football Academy in Lagos. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I went, I went around. I really, really went around in 2017. For me, it wasn't much about raising money. But of course, some of the competitions were not even about raising money. Some of them were just more brand mm-hmm. awareness. And every time right. I pitched, every time I put myself out there, I put I put the company out there. I became the face of the company, even though I wasn't the only founder. I became popular because I was always the one out there right. on stage talking about the Footwear Academy. Secondly, um, I, I met a lot of people. I got feedback on things we could use to implement our business. I started learning buzzwords uh, on the startup scene. I started learning things like, oh, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I started picking up one or two words that I could use in my pitch competition. I, I learned how to do a pitch deck from attending accelerators, boot camps, and stuff like that. So it really helped mm. me. So by the time we, by the time I had attended, um, I, I pitched at the competition, Tech Point Build, yes, in 2018, mm. in January. I pitched there, and it was there I met a friend of mine, saw me pitch, and said, Oh, you didn't win this, because I didn't win, actually. It was a one million naira. You didn't win this, but there's a competition I think you would fit perfectly in and that's how he went and told me about the problem is in a hackathon so he told me about it they shared the link with me when he came out 
and I pitched her one fifty thousand dollars. Well, so I'm putting myself out there, putting the business out there. We got a school job. We got, you know, met a lot of people, and then got a community of people that know. Oh, you do this, and then when they see things like um links and stuff like that, they sent to you. So you're able to build your own network of you know startups that you follow, you know, and you meet mm-hmm. friends and people that can you know support your business as well. So that's how I got that support. That's how I met a lot of people, met mentors you know even investors because eventually we started getting interest from investors and but when and i weren't ready to raise money yet so are, are you ready to raise money now you said you weren't ready to raise money then <laughs> <laughs> no um for now no still not ready to raise money because there's a lot of things where we plan to initially just you know implement and also because we got we got a lot of funds from the fifty thousand dollars that we got and we use that in the business and now business is also very profitable on its own okay. so um except for the expansion that we plan to do eventually but most of most of the investors that we, we were talking to were not interested in you know in training per se in, in an academy per se but we were more interested okay. in production aspect and stuff like that and um we are yet to find an investor that will be interested in expanding in, in investing to expand to different parts of nigeria and africa so until we find that investor that is interested in something like that, then yes, we will be open to that. But most investors we speak to and are more interested in products and not in like services of academy. But still, we're not. It's not like we're actively looking for investment in that area. But we mm-hmm. plan to eventually. But there's still a couple of things that we want to perfect, like getting more perfecting our train trainer program, um, expanding to other smaller states, seeing how it works, and then before doing planning a bigger expansion. It's great that you you know exactly what you want, especially in terms of the type of investor, um, because I feel like it can make or break a business. If you get the wrong type of investor, it, it can mess with your vision for your business. Yes, it can. Because a lot of investors kept telling us, why not want to keep the training mm-hmm. on side and then focus on the production because your shoes are really good. And we tell them, oh, we are called the Kutu right. Academy for a reason. So <laughs> we know we want to do but there's still a lot of things that we plan to do and we haven't it, it, it's like we want we don't want to be swayed by funding is not the problem exactly. in our business right now so that's that's one thing yes so we're trying to get some of the problems we can solve with the funds that we have and interestingly we also okay. got the grant this year one millionaire from friends of growth and business is also profitable so funding is not definitely not the problem right now we're just trying to like you know, improve hmm. our team, you know, try to see if we could train, yeah, grow our team, try to see if we can get more trainers to go to different parts of Nigeria, hmm. even Africa. Yes, so if we can do that, then if there's need to, because we have people asking us to come to Liberia, come to Sierra Leone, come to different parts of Africa. So these are things that we want to do eventually. Hmm. And um, if if need be, if we can't fund it ourselves, then yes, we might get an investment. Okay, so so it, it's been a couple of years. So can you talk to us a bit about some of the challenges? I mean, your your financial story is so encouraging, um, especially in a country like Nigeria. And um, it's great to hear that the business is profitable and you're meeting a, a very important need in terms of training. Um, but what kinds of challenges have you faced? And if there are any that you've overcome, like, you know, how, how did you go about overcoming them? We thought our BSL was funding until we got money. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't, obviously. 
it wasn't it was yes because actually when we started we're like oh, we'll just get this amount of money we'll be fine at a point in our business we got three million naira was mm-hmm. a lot of money for us and by the time we got six thousand dollars it, it, it dawned on us that money was not the issue we, our biggest issue was capacity the first year we started we it was a big problem because in our head in the drawing paper it was easy it was like oh get the older generation to teach the younger right. people shoemaking right and it wasn't that easy because getting them to teach getting a lot of them even educated they didn't go to mm-hmm. a school a lot of them were not interested in teaching a lot of them it was hard you would you would employ and um, get involved the services of a train of a shoemaker per se and he wouldn't show up in class even though you've paid him and stuff like that so getting our own team was hard getting people to come on board or getting people that were you know that had an excellent spirit mm-hmm. or they were in tune with the vision we had was really really hard and trust me this was really hard for us because we kept changing team members or even yeah. till last year so going 2020 it would you trust you that this is the year we've actually got the dream team we've always wanted to have <laughs> yeah so i'm starting 2017 so it took us three years to build to get to the dream team that we have now um what we did was that we 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 got we, we, we worked mm-hmm. with other shoemakers we worked with about 35 mm-hmm. yes we wouldn't have we have to go to ghana to scout for shoemakers wow. that's how bad it was we've Worked with a lot of filmmakers in Abba, Mushin, Ghana, yes, and then um, eventually we said, okay, now that we've learned filmmaking, one of the best things that happened to us was traveling to Italy to learn mm-hmm. the skill ourselves. So we said, oh, we have the skill now. Why don't we train right. our own people, right? So what we did, yeah, so January this year, we just said, okay, did a call for application internships, and we took we took two people. And from two, we started increasing it. And so what we did, when you come in, we train you. So that's how we came up with our train the trainer program. So we train you, and train then training. you you become better. You become good. You, you get like you have like a whole new program you have to go through. Yes. So we train you to be really, really good so you can train other people. So that's how we have a team now. <laughs> a, a cool, a, our own team members now. So we plan to also do that uh, in 2021. This January, also mm-hmm. trying to get like about 10 people to come in on board and train them as well so that's that method has worked and now we're training young people we're not working with older people yeah. and stuff like that because we're training young people that are just fresh out of you know university fresh out of even secondary school we don't just learn the skill and be able to teach people and it's working out for us really well what are the prospects for a, a young person who completes the training like are they what do they do do they go off to start their own business do they join a manufacturing company what are the employment or entrepreneurship prospects for people who go through your course? okay so there are two pathways you can choose to work with someone you can choose to do entrepreneurship because the thing with shoemaking is that most people go into shoemaking with the with the intention of starting up their own business. Because the truth is that you can actually start making money from class. Most of our students start making money from the classroom, right? Right from the classroom. Because it's it really? it's shoes, like it's slippers, it's shoes. You make shoes, you make slippers, you make all types of things. You can even make belts and, and, and wallets and stuff like that from the idea that you get from the shoemaking process. The, the thing is that by the time they start making money on their own, they become very independent and they usually feel like working for but there are also companies that have that approach us to help them recruit and we're also positioned to offer that service as well 
So yes, if there are two pathways, okay. there's the career pathway and then there's entrepreneurship pathway. Although a lot of young people, which is what mm. is rampant in this generation, want to have their own shoe brands and that of their and that's exactly <laughs> what we, that's exactly yes. and a lot of them are doing exceptionally really, really well. Um except for some of them that we have retrained most of the students we've trained have also joined our team as well and we're retraining them to be better trainers as well so it's it's a very lucrative business secondly even if they wanted to work in a company they can work as a lot of things our training process involves teaching them how to sew how to create patterns how to do so many things that in shoe companies really need so most times shoe companies only recruit they're looking for someone that can sew looking for someone that can do pattern making someone that can do the last thing someone mm-hmm. that can do yeah so we teach them all of those processes so even if they go on to um part of their businesses and they want to transition into um, to paid employment so it's been a, a really tough year 2020 with with covid uh, and all and um, and I wonder how COVID, first of all, how COVID, if at all, has impacted the Footwear Academy and, and what's next for, for the Academy going forward? Interestingly, this was a good year for us. So it wasn't business as usual this mm. year. And this is something we've been trying to tell people that you have to get a skill. You have to, you can't depend on your nine to five. You, right. A lot of things can change in a split second, but a skill that you have, it stays with you, right? So it, it so happened that COVID mm. happened. A lot of people were forced to stay at home. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of students were forced to stay at home for a whole year due to COVID plus a strike. What happened was that a lot of people are looking for skills to acquire during this time. And not just any kind of skill, a skill that will make them financially independent. So shoemaking came in the forefront. Mm. Also, we had already started works with teams. Um, for the Abama Shrimp Bookstore program. So we got a lot of young people to sign up because, well, they weren't really doing anything. A lot of them were at home for for the ASU strike and a lot of them had finished school. There were no jobs because the companies were not recruiting. Mm. So a lot of them joined in at the, for the Abama Shrimp Bookstore program and they benefited. Now, a lot of, we have about 100 shrimpers that were trained through this program by us. So, yeah, it was a good year for us. Um, aside mm. from the the sponsored program. We also had a lot of people coming in from different parts of Nigeria to our back to learn shoemaking. So we introduced our six month course and we had people signing okay. up for it, even though it was 500,000. So it was really a, a good year for us. It wasn't bad at all. Hmm. It was kind of um, looking to realization that they needed a skill moving forward. This was like something that, that you know, even if there's a second lockdown, you could still be making shoes and you could still be financially. So, yeah, so it was good year. So, what's next? We plan to we plan to introduce it an online course, uh, which is something we've been trying to work on for a long time and we haven't had the time to do it, but it's, it's in the works. It's almost finished. Something we plan to launch first quarter 2021. Um, we plan to okay. also expand into the same into different other states. We have a lot of training requests, so we hope to do that. We also have some partnership with some international schools that we're currently in talks okay. with. Yes, there are a lot of exciting projects that will happen in 2021, hopefully with international schools and an international school brand. So which will help them, you know, shine and give exposure to the um, work of young people 
in the shoemaking industry. Mm. So something exciting is going to happen in 2021. And we're really excited about it. We're also planning to really improve the hub that we're working on. We're already providing a kind of hub for our young people to come in. Most of our alumni can come in to the academy to work from there for free. We're not charging anybody for that. So we plan to expand on that. Work with, we're already in touch with like organizations that can help sponsor like a bigger hub for shoemakers to be able to work from. Right. What, what we have currently in our back is not really um, where it is. It's not suitable for a lot of the young people who are trying to create something else. There's a lot of exciting things in the work in the shoemaking industry. A lot of things that we want to do <laughs> and also be able to provide um, raw materials right. for shoemakers, which is also a problem. Because the importers are not shoemakers. A lot of importers just bring in things that they think we need. But then, they're not bringing in things that we really, really need. So, we plan to work with importers and some, you know, we're already, in talk, we're already working with some manufacturing, uh, manufacturers, uh, not um, raw material manufacturers mm. in Portugal, Spain, and Italy. So, we're trying to see how we can make some of those materials easier to bring into the country. There's so much to do in the industry. There's really so exciting. <laughs> Very busy. I know. I'm, it's, it's not just me. Yeah, that's why we have. That's why I said team. Thankfully, we have a team now that's doing. It's, I'm still gonna be busy though, but you know we have people now for some of these things. Yeah, it's really exciting has been an amazing inspiring conversation thank you so much but uh, my final question is if you could give other female entrepreneurs one piece of advice from your experience what, what would it be if you're gonna do something do it right there's there's no guarantee on what tomorrow is, is going to look like so you should do whatever it is you want to do like i would say it in a I brought something I saw online recently that says, pursue your purpose with a sense of urgency. Pursue it like, oh, I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't know if this vaccine is going to work or if people are going to be dying or if I'm going to die. So what am I going to be known for? What's the legacy that I'm going to leave behind? So if you're going to start that business, start it. If you're going to learn that skill, learn it. Whatever it is you can be, make sure that you do it all. Do it all. Do not let anything limit you. It's not too late to get that get that skill. It's not too late to go for that master's. It's not too late to start a new side hustle or whatever it is you really, really want to do. Also, you have to know that, like I tell this to my students, like nobody knows your business than you. And this has helped many of them win pitch competitions as well. And I go mm-hmm. to the stage whenever I want to pitch. I go to the stage with this mindset that nobody knows the Kutuwe Academy more than me. So I go there pitching with everything in me, trying to convince you, because I know this more than you do, even though some of them are more experts, but they don't know the vision the way I see. So I have to explain it that way to them. So that's the advice that I have for female entrepreneurs. Treat your purpose with a sense of urgency. Treat it like, oh, I don't know if five years from now is guaranteed for me. So I have to do all the best that I can do now you know, be happy, don't move, push your happiness or that business to tomorrow because tomorrow is not the one to do. So yeah, so there's a sense of urgency in all the things that we're doing right now because why not? Why not, really? Thank you so much, Lima. This has been so amazing. Thank you once again. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> that was Chidema Emodi Chukwemeka, co-founder of the Footwear Academy in Nigeria. You know, this episode reinforces my takeaway from last week, that success comes from trusting your gut. 
as you dream and as you implement, trust your intuition. As Chidima said, and I agree, nobody knows your business better than you. So trust you and learn to listen to that still small voice on the inside. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.